Well, hello, everyone. Today, I have the um, privilege of sitting down with Jacqueline and her dad, Lonnie, and daughter, Lillian, to talk about caregiving for um, Lonnie's wife, Yvette, Jacqueline's mom. So welcome to the podcast. I'm so grateful that you're here and just willing to have this conversation. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. So your mom passed away in 2012. Mm -hmm. How old were you? I was 18. So it was just when I was starting to look at colleges and everything. Um, and just after I graduated, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And how, what, what, what did she have like a di diagnosis or what? Yep. So she had leukemia, um, for five years. Uh, so she went into remission about what, a year before uh, she was diagnosed. She was diagnosed uh, my freshman year. Freshman year. Uh, her halfway between her junior and sophomore year. Um, she relapsed. Yeah. So my senior year, she, uh, she relapsed into, you know, having leukemia again and having to go through treatments. And then, uh, so it would have been about a year after when I was, cause I did community college, mm -hmm. but, uh, so while I was in college at Metro, um, she, got a stem cell transplant yeah. and weirdly enough it wasn't the cancer that killed her it was like problems with like plasma and a whole different like blood disease okay so you you were on this like up and down cancer journey and then it yeah. it was ultimately something else yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, we can definitely attribute it to the cancer because she wouldn't have had to go through the stem cell transplants and everything like that. But yeah, because she had to go through all that, it led to that. In the end, her body couldn't take the treatments anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Basically is what happened. Yeah. And I think we kind of, um, we hear about people going through cancer treatments and being survivors, but I think when you really or um, the treatment's no longer working. And that's what happened with my father-in-law was ultimately the doctor said, the treatments aren't actually working for you anymore. And the treatment themselves is doing more harm than good at yeah. this point. Like he had two hospital stays um, where his, he was in organ failure. Jeez, wow. Um, yeah, so... I don't know. I think it just gives us a reminder that um, this is not an easy road and it's not simple to be. To no, in the beginning, we were we were babes in the woods, as I like to say. Yeah. We didn't know anything, but uh, we did learn one thing when uh, her first hospital stay, the first week, uh, we didn't want her to be in the hospital. Yeah. So we uh, learned how to do IVs and we basically became nurses and we yes. kept her home. Between her, between her actual hospital treatments where she had to be at the hospital for her chemo, mm -hmm. uh, the rest of the time we kept her at home and we took care of her. 
So, so for Jacqueline, this was, we had discussed, like, there's this kid point of view, and then if, there's, of course, the spouse partner. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think a lot of what you're doing, it captures the, like, spousal part of it, mm -hmm. um, even, like, the older kid going through it, but, I mean, I was, how old, 14, when she was first she was diagnosed. 14 and we both became caregivers instead <laughs> yeah. of husband and daughter yeah so like i was helping my mom throw up in the bathroom and mm -hmm. i was i shaved her head and like i grew up within a, a couple months right <laughs> I went medicine from being, shots yeah. cleaning ivs yeah and... she had diabetes at one point so we had to manage that she was afraid of giving herself the shots so like that was up to us so and then my brother he couldn't handle it so like he wasn't there to help um, I had an adopted sister at the time and that was too much for her so she wasn't there to help basically so, pretty much we were abandoned and left to our just yeah us too yeah, yeah. left yeah. your own devices do you feel like that changed your relationship the dynamics of the yes. two of you did it happen like in the moment or was it something that i think it developed because we stopped being like my dad mm -hmm. i mean he's my dad I, I feel like he became more of my dad but more of like a partner and the like psychological and physical journey that we we're going through right the heavy lifting. And we had to depend on each other yeah mm -hmm. um yeah, because most most people, including what you said, her brother, or my son, and um, an adopted daughter we had, they couldn't handle it. It was basically they just walked away. Yeah. So that kind of hurts a little bit. I mean, yeah. So then you're also navigating and dealing with that loss, like you're in yeah. the fight, trying to fight for the life. Yeah, of one person, and you're struggling with these other people. Yeah, yeah. Can you, when you think back to that time, is there anything that you can remember that really helped you get through each day? Honestly, it kind of goes by in a blur, like each day blended into each other because I mean, we didn't really get into any kind of supports or even talking to like therapists or anything until she was long gone. Like it was years afterward before either of us saw anybody. Saw a therapist. Yeah. Which I, we still do today. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, at the time it was more of like, I have to do this to keep her alive. Right. It, it, this isn't about me. This is about her. Like, if I want to see her later in my life, I have to do this. Like, I have to make her eat when she doesn't want to eat. I have to give her water. I have to stay up with her at night, give her shots. I uh, think my background probably uh, helped a lot for me is becoming a caregiver, mm -hmm. uh, military. Um, I had experience with being in the hospital. I had experience with being sick a couple of times also. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but my mantra in my life was to fight to stay alive. 
-hmm. So I think that helped. Hold on. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Well, yeah, I mean, especially military, it's very, it appears, it seems very mission based. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. this is our mission at hand. And like I said, when she first went to the hospital the first week, the second day, no, it was the first day we left and they called us to come back right away. And she had a reaction to a medication. Basically, she had a heart attack. Yeah. They ended up, because we had been with her almost 24 seven and they were like, no, no, go home. Like you need to rest. And that, that night we got a call and they're like, she's having a huge reaction to all the medication or something. We're transferring her to a different hospital. Oh so God. this huge like thing happened in like hours of us not being with her. <laughs> Do you feel like and that? Oh, go ahead, Lenny. So that's when I knew we had to take care of her ourselves because yeah. most people know, or I don't know if most people know, but I knew that to survive that kind of stuff, even at the VA hospital, it's better to be at home with family yeah. who can take care of you. But it's less traumatic and less uh, uh, less hardship on the body as far as medication and nurses and yeah. And she hated being in the hospital. She did hate being in the hospital. Yeah. Because she ended up staying, she had to stay at, so she moved from Creighton to UNMC. Mm -hmm. And she stayed at UNMC, I think it was two months. Two months. Yeah. Before we got her home, yeah. Yeah, before we could get her home because she was on so many different medications. And when they brought her into UNMC that night, uh, UNMC was like, we're taking her off all the medications and starting over. Wow. Basically. So it took her several weeks just to like transfer between the medications and for them to figure it out. And then they wanted to monitor her. So <laughs> can you talk a little bit about the juggle of that? Because obviously you were in high school, so you're still trying to go to classes and then no. I yeah. withdrew her from high school. So she was I, homeschooled. Kind of. Um, so the first half of first half. my freshman year, um, I stayed in school. Um, but I probably still missed half of the first half because mm -hmm. I was at the hospital or I was there so long or early in the morning, so I was tired during the day. Yeah. And then I'd go back, get assignments and try to do them. And I, I started failing almost all of my classes. Mm -hmm. So um, both my mom and my dad both were like, well, why don't we just take you out and we'll homeschool you? That way, you know, you can do work on your own time. So I did that through sophomore and junior year as well. And that's the balance. That's what worked for the family that you were able yeah. to do that. And then your senior year, did you go back to the building? I think it was halfway through my junior year. I ended up doing half days. Um, so I was still half homeschooled. Um, so I did like my main classes at home, um, which was really easy because I was really like self-taught by that point. So <laughs> sorry so right, um, Lillian. Hi, Lillian. 
Um, but yeah, so I was really self-taught at that point. I was doing workbooks. I was doing stuff online, experiments by myself. And then I'd go to the school and do like electives um, and other stuff so I could graduate from the school. I mean, that, that takes a lot of grit and tenacity. I mean, that that is not... That's that's pretty impressive that you were able to to juggle those, both of those things. Yeah. So Lonnie, did you have were you still able to go to work since Jackie was home being homeschooled? No, I um did not work for a while. Uh, for the five years that she was ill, I stayed home. Um, we had um insurance and uh, things like that though. The, cover expenses so that wasn't actually an issue money wise but okay so we were able to luckily we were able to uh i was able to stay home and care for her and make sure she got schooling and all that yeah Yeah. that's great so it sounds like any given day you didn't really know what to expect based on treatments she needed or her reactions to medicine or how she was going to feel uh, there were several times where, you know, she'd get a temperature or something, we'd have to take her to the hospital. And... Right. <laughs> She's being more talkative than normal. <laughs> and I'm like, what? what is she... yeah. This is weird. So do you feel like there were, did you guys use any other resources or was it really just the two of you? Did you have any home health coming in or? Yeah, so we had a nurse that would come in. Uh, She would deliver like saline bags and stuff. And um, basically, so she would just teach us how to use it. We would do it. We did all her care at home. Right. The nurse that came in, she like, so my mom had a, a port um pick line yeah pick line and oh yeah she had a pick line because the port didn't work um so she had a port at one point which is in your chest and they just like stab it um and then it didn't really work out so they had to do a pick line which is like I don't know if you know but a uh permanent into your blood your heart yeah vein into your heart Mm -hmm. uh and so the nurse would come in and flush it out and make sure that it was looking okay and everything. But we changed the bandages on that. Um, when she had the port, we helped clean that clean. Um, it was really weird. <laughs> yeah. And you had you are not in the medical field at this point, right? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, she had machines that would uh, run the IVs and we had to hook up the IV to the pick line, start the machine, yeah. and you had to code the machine to do the medicine the right yeah. way. The the like whole IV things that are in the hospitals, like the ones that you see there, we had one at home. Wow. So like, I know how to, I don't know how to do it now, but, but we did. I used to know how to like turn off the alarm, how to change it out, like how to get all the air out of it, how to like switch things out. It was, yeah, I was basically a nurse without the training. Yeah. Well, how did you get that equipment? Like, how did you get it set up for her to be at home? Was that a like uh, her insurance covered uh, home health care? Okay. And uh, the hospital, uh, when I talked to her main doctor, I said we were going to care for her at home. So 
it was just set up that way. There's a van that would come by and drop off IVs and um, exchange machines if the battery was dead and give us the supplies we needed. So basically, we had a little hospital in our house. Yeah, it sounds like it. Were you able, like, were you taking rotations of sleeping at night? I know sleep is one of the biggest issues that people um, that are caring for someone at home have. I don't even remember. Wait, what's the question? Uh, <laughs> if we took shifts sleeping, sleeping. are we taking care of it? I mean... She would sleep through the night mostly, mm. and she basically slept with her in her room, or I did. One of us was there. Yeah. Um, I slept in the bed with my mom. Yeah. Uh, and then, I don't even remember where you slept. Couch. Okay. <laughs> mostly. So mom slept in the bed, and then you you, you two rotated through who was... I guess, yeah, yeah. But she never really needed anything at night, or if she did, like, I don't remember it, you know? And the other thing is, we had five dogs, <laughs> and they all slept on the bed with her also. Yeah. Oh my that God. was the other reason we wanted her home, her babies. Yeah, the fur babies. Wow. Like... Do you feel like... Um, as you reflected on that time, I mean, that was a pretty intense five years. Yeah. Does it feel like it was kind of a, a blur or a dream or do you still uh, feel, I mean, that's really um, in the trenches. I mean, it's something that I don't think you can ever forget as mm -hmm. far as the trauma of it. And I think that's why both of us now need therapy mm -hmm. um, because we didn't deal with it we and even unfortunately her first remission after her first remission we weren't really it was hard for us to be husband and daughter for her because we had become her caregivers mm -hmm. and to transition back was very difficult and i'm sure it was very difficult for her not to be able to have a husband and a daughter again yeah it <clears throat> So the worst part or the regrettable part is that part of it. Yeah. And for me now, it, it feels very blurry, I suppose. Like, I, rem I try not to remember, like, all the times that she was sick. And, like, I don't want to say, like, decrepit, but, like, you know, sickly looking. Mm -hmm. Like, in my head, I don't want to remember my mom being that way you know right so a lot of it has like kind of changed from all those horrible images to like the time she was happy during that time or the things that we did together but I mean five years to me feels like it was a couple weeks <laughs> yeah yeah and the way that you have to talk to your child during that time the child it, it grows up immediately because you have to talk to them what it, she talked to me all the time about like what if I pass away this is what's going to happen um you know or like just telling me how she felt and there's times that she'd be so loopy that she'd tell me things that she regretted in her life or things that I didn't particularly want to know mm -hmm. 
but I don't think she even knew that she was saying those things. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think, how do you think you started to rebuild your memories of how you wanted to remember her versus how things were at that time? I've been in a lot more therapy than he has. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. I tend to, uh, I, I've actually had other trauma prior to this. So I kind of had learned to shut myself off from it. Mm -hmm. And I'm just now dealing with all of it, uh, PTSD, uh, I don't know, whatever else I have. Apparently, I have a lot. <laughs> um, but I don't think I actually ever dealt with it until now, yeah. really. And I had therapy uh, a couple years after because I, I went into a huge depressive state. Mm -hmm. I think we both did. Yeah. And like... We lost the house after she passed away. Um, I was living in the dorms at UNM, uh, UNL. Um, I then started living with my boyfriend at the time. And then we moved to Washington. Uh, we were homeless, later. yeah. We were homeless for quite a while. Yeah. So we lived in a car. In Washington, yeah. Six we, months. We lived six months in the car and then got an apartment or I got an apartment um on the other side of the state <laughs> mm -hmm. and I started going back to school then and I was still in a huge depressive state but I started seeing one of the school's uh counselors mm -hmm. and started having therapy sessions with them pretty regularly and I think that's when I started to like kind of realize that you know there was more good in like having that time with her and being able to have that time with her than, you know, like all the depressive things. <laughs> right. Well, and there was that moment, not a moment, a really long time, those five years in that state and then all of the um, aftershocks. Yeah. That occurred. The biggest aftershock for me was when she first was diagnosed, the the doctor said to us five years and I was like should be cured I thought she meant she'd be cured in five years I did not mean I didn't know that I didn't take it like that you didn't nope mm. so well that's my therapy part of my therapy <laughs> but uh yeah yeah um I mean I feel like we didn't get as much of aftershock of somebody suddenly dying um like because she I remember being picked up from Metro when I was there and like my, my dad had my mom in the car and the, they had gotten like a really bad diagnosis of like um, everything because her brain was just like shutting down. It was almost like severe dementia. Mm. Yeah. And like she stopped talking. There were some times when she was lucid, but she very quickly degraded and uh, they pretty much says she was brain dead. Yeah. And I think then, a couple of days after that, didn't she? I know. Uh, that was in October. So October. It was she didn't go till January. Yeah. yeah. So we had New Year's Eve was probably the last day that she was lucid 
And then New Year's Day, she was in the hospital. And 12 days later, she died. She was, we had to pull the plug. So you had to make a decision about that. Yes. I think that decision was the easiest one for us, though, when we pulled the plug. She suffered enough. No. For me. For you. (laughs) I didn't want her to suffer anymore. I've had plenty of therapy about this but so my brother was there and my adoptive sister were there and they spent a day or two in the hospital kind of just like saying goodbyes and everything but I'm the youngest out of all of them mind you and they had taken me out into the hallway and said the decision was mine And that is probably the most traumatic thing that, like, mentally I've ever gone through. Mm -hmm. Of course, like, we talked about this recently, but he had already talked to the doctor and made the decision. So it wasn't mine, thank God. (laughs) But, yeah. But in that moment... I, I yeah. thought it was mine. Yeah. yeah. I, I was told it was mine. It like in my head as an 18 year old, the life of my mother was in my hands. Right. Uh, yeah. I think for me, um, letting her go was the best thing I could do for her. That's oh, how I yeah. thought about it. Yeah, it was definitely the best thing. Like, she wasn't there. And she wanted a DNR, so, and they had resuscitated her. So it was even against her wishes to be resuscitated and on the tube, so. I mean, the day prior, they said, do you want her resuscitated? I said, no. She says no. Yeah. Because we asked her. Yeah. They had resuscitated her when we weren't there. Yeah. And the the medical staff did. Because she she had like a stroke or something. I don't remember what. She had she had a severe stroke, and they showed us both the X-rays when we first got there that next morning. Yeah. The morning that we unplugged her, and it was black. Yeah. Her brain was gone. Yeah, it was like completely gone. But yeah, we got bad a little bit because they weren't supposed to like resuscitate her. But we had all kinds of trauma during this thing, though. We had like okay, she had to have her gallbladder re- removed. <laughs> And the cardiac team came in and said, we don't, we, we are against this. You shouldn't do it. And uh, we're like, well, she has to have it done because she's in pain all the time. And uh, they were, well, God bless her soul because she's not going to make it through surgery. And we're like, what? And the cardiac surgeon's like, no, I got this. So we had to trust him and we call him God to this day because mm-hmm. uh, he did exactly what he said he was going to do. He fixed her. But yeah. So it just was not a straight path. <laughs> no, definitely not, not a straight path. We had path. we had a lot of ups and downs the whole the whole five years. There were all kinds of weird things that would happen. Yeah. I mean, there was a whole period where I mean she was in remission and we're like, hey, like we don't have to deal with this again. And I think that lasted six months a year or something like that lasted about a year and then uh she went for a routine at her doctor's office and they gave us a call back about an hour later there's something wrong but they were all freaked yeah. out freaked us out yeah. so we had to start all over again yeah i do remember oh go ahead i was gonna say i do remember 
that one thing I will never have done is a bone biopsy without any kind of anesthesia because barbaric it is actually really barbaric <laughs> like they just they basically just like they give you a local anesthetic like just numb it up and then like pound this hollow thing into your hip with a hammer and then like grind into your hip for the bone and like they're screaming like it's you're being tortured oh my god and they do that thing to kids and i was like this is barbaric as soon as i said that every time she had it done after because she had to have it done a lot yeah um they would uh Put anesthesia on her. Yeah, she. They wouldn't do it without her being yeah. under. Well, she wasn't completely under, but it was. But I mean, a local, so it yeah, wouldn't hurt her. It was like it was much better. Yeah, much like a better. Twilight phase versus uh, yeah. just a local shot in that. Yeah, sense. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it my. Sounds like you learned as you went, and you adjusted course for future. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. We learned a lot of different things about. Yeah. Hospitals are not your your angels that people think they are no some some people in the hospitals are pretty heartless yeah and we hear about them all the time as well like in the news and stories that you hear and which is so sad but were you gonna I mean, say Bonnie I interrupted you I think what do you remember you were gonna say something mm -hmm. oh, okay sorry <laughs> but yeah I mean one reason I wanted to be on your podcast too was because what you're offering to people is something that I feel like we could have benefited with at the time. Like when, after she passed, I wanted to do talks and, and to tell people like, check your insurances. Cause you don't, if you have the right insurance, you won't have to make yeah. a car payment or, or your house payment or things like that. It depends on what, what insurance you got and what, electives you receive but um and there's also help through the leukemia society and um i gave some talks to new people that i would meet while we're waiting for her to get her treatment i talked to them and say hey do this this and this because they'd have like deer in the headlight look on their face especially the parents with kids and yeah. i'm saying don't let them dictate you dictate you tell them what you want and and my advice is to make sure you take them home. Yeah. Don't leave them in the hospital. Yeah. But, yeah. But we never, like, uh, the support groups and everything. There they, weren't any. There were. There were. Yeah. But, I mean, it's hard to get to a support group when you're the main people taking care of the person. Right. Like, I, I well, wish yeah. there had been, like, Zoom things that you could do and, like, just exercises that we could have done where there or just one-on-one -on -one phone calls we could have made with somebody but that wasn't available at the time and if it was it wasn't like shoved in your faces here you go i think uh back then it wasn't prevalent but i think it's more prevalent now there's people to talk to now more well yeah that's what michelle does yeah yeah well, I mean, in 10 years ago, we had Skype or some other platforms, but you're right. It just wasn't as prevalent as it is now where um, there are support group, there's, um, you can have doctor appointments yeah. online, some of those type of consults too. Mm -hmm. 
What do you, what got you out of bed in the morning for each of you? I mean, you had such different vantage points um, as the, the husband and daughter, like what got you out of bed in the morning? How did you? Uh, well, when we were taking care of her, it was, she needs her medication and it becomes a job, basically. Yeah. It's your job and uh taking care of her it's like taking care of a child actually a little bit yeah. a little bit it's mm -hmm. like taking care of a child mm -hmm. and then i don't know i just i'm not a quitter i guess yeah so i mean i try to teach her not to be a quitter yeah i mean he had her a lot in the mornings um so a lot of the times I would end up sleeping until like 12. Um, my junior and senior year, um, I ended up sleeping until about 11 before I had to go to school. And I mean, at that time it was school, then the hospital, do work, like homework and stuff for homeschooling. And then I'd go home or it was school, work, hospital, go home. So, I mean, most of the time I woke up because I had to go to school. <laughs> right, yeah. Lonnie, have you gone back to work since then? Um, yeah, I worked in Seattle uh, uh, at a, as a manager at a Travel Centers of America. And then uh, she was going to school in Spokane. And I was that particular job was kind of ending a little bit. The, the industry was changing. Um, and then I moved to Spokane. I worked there for BNSF Railway for a while. And I don't work anymore right now. You retired? I came here. Yeah, he's retired. He's a nanny, basically. Oh, that's so great. I have her since my granddaughter here. Yeah, yeah. so he, he lives with us. So he's kind of a uh, live-in nanny. That's he perfect. The house, so. It takes a lot of stress off of myself and my husband. Yeah. Well, and to give that intergenerational experience for Lillian. Yeah. So great. <laughs> so what do you think people need to hear or know? Like from the child perspective and from the husband perspective, what what do you think if if someone's listening to this and they have a a kid at home that's helping with this heavy lifting. Um, what do you think that they need to know? I know my advice is uh, ask questions. The doctors don't always know the right thing. If second you, opinions. second opinions we had, um, but my biggest one is do not leave them in the hospital if you can at all costs bring them home. Only leave them at the hospital for procedures where they absolutely have to be there. Mm -hmm. I think being home, she went into remission faster than most. Um, we had, like I said, we had dogs. They slept with her. They're always in the bed with her. Um, we were there with her. Uh, when we take her out once in a while, she'd see friends, put a smile on her face because she'd get to talk to somebody she knew. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, that's my biggest. And then my second one is you have to take care of, which we didn't do yourselves, 
also because the men the mental hardness of it just grows on you and wears on you after a while. Mm -hmm. And you become cold, I guess, maybe a little. Yeah. Yeah. And then other people say, why are you so cold? Or why you don't uh, blah, blah, blah. You know, relationships with other people, women for me. Mm -hmm. It's like, you're so heartless. And I'm like, (laughs) what? You don't show any emotion. Things like that. Yeah. I think for being on the kid end of it, um, like, it's hard, because I don't want to, like, not blame him, but, like, there, there weren't, we didn't know of all the resources, like, he didn't know of all the resources that we could have used that probably could have stopped me from being so in in, in it, uh, experiencing so much trauma at a young age. But my advice to parents is like, get as much help as possible, get the home health care, like get the nurse that comes every single day to help, like try to let your kids be kids. Yeah, and like if they are there, like don't lie to them about anything. But you also don't have to, you know, traumatize them. <laughs> yeah, I probably went too far with that because with her, she knew everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I was there for almost every single doctor visit, every single procedure. She's in the hospital. I was there every know. single day in the hospital. And my side of it is, I wanted her to spend as much time with her mother as possibly as possible. Mm-hmm. And I felt that that the way we handled it was the best way I could do that for her, so she could be with her mother. And, and that was why I didn't want to leave her in the hospital. And later on, I found out it's better that they're not at the hospital because they get more sick there, but yeah. Yeah, and then, like, I think being in the hospital every day um, would, I think that was good, but being with her at every procedure and everything, I, I don't think I had to have been there. No, I think but... it caused a bit of trauma. Uh, there were a lot of times when we'd bring her home from the hospital, but she'd have to go and get um, plasma transfers, and yeah. uh, we would sit there for hours Yeah, and while that was happening. Yeah, and while I got that time with my mom, like, that's ingrained in my head, mm-hmm. and it's, it's probably a bit more than I probably should have gone through, but, I mean, also just talking to your kids about what they want to do, because... Some kids will probably be like, yeah, I want to be there for everything. And some kids will be like, no, I don't want to see her go through that. I mean, I guess that's my fault. I wanted her to, like I said, be with her mother as much as possible. But well, I mean, once I got into like, uh, when she went and relapsed, uh, that's probably when we were the most caregivers because she deteriorated so quickly. quickly. And so, again, like I said, she basically, it was basically having a uh, severe dementia patient in your home. Right. So then I was like, no, I want to be there. This is what I'm doing. But like my freshman year, I was 14. I had no idea what was going on. I, it, I don't think a 14 year old probably should have gone through as much as I went through then. 
So how, so this really can tear families so far apart and you are still very much connected. You're living together. Um, he's helping with your child. It's so beautiful. How, how have the two of you maintained um, such a strong connection? Because obviously moving to Washington, being homeless for a period of time, um, also added to the yeah. compounded trauma. Um, how have you two kept it together? Because I feel like over and over experiences that families are going through, people are just, it's shredding them. It's shredding them apart and they can't regroup. And they usually end up divorced or not connected to that person yeah. and all that. Um, which happened with my brother. Yeah. So uh, I don't, I tried to reach out several times with him, but I think um it's just uh, hit him way too hard he feels things on a huge deep level mm -hmm. it has quite a bit of like mental problems himself so I mean it, it did tear us apart in a way but I mean we were in it the entire time <laughs> and communication I think helps um especially now like we we lived in a car together for six months mm -hmm. so going through that we uh like we had plenty of time to talk about things um we did a lot and um, we both we both ah. <laughs> that's what i did <laughs> we both got uh therapy and stuff so i think that helps <laughs> I don't know. I think uh, I look at it as like we were warriors. Yeah. We fought together. And it just gives you a strong bond, I think. Uh, yeah. We've always raised her to be independent, and she is. And we've always been upfront with her about everything. So I feel, uh, yeah, I feel like we were warriors. We survived. I think that's a good analogy too, because I mean, warriors, especially like people that fought in the same war in the same like uh, battalion or whatever, they tend to stay friends forever, or they tear apart. <laughs> like it's a, uh, it's one way or the other. There's no really middle ground there. Like either it's so painful to be together because it's such a reminder, or um it pulls you apart yeah yeah <laughs> yeah she can see herself <laughs> well what do you have any final thoughts for people i think this has been um really helpful and beautiful for you too to be willing to sit down and share this because again so many families are on this road together and struggling I feel like some of the thing that I heard all throughout our time together is using resources being advocates yeah making sure that you're taking care of yourselves you're it's hard to know what that could look like yeah um, Therapy definitely has been part of your recovery. Yes. 
and your continued think, closeness? Yes. Um, I think doing, doing what's best for yourself and like helping others for sure, like mm-hmm. being advocates. Um, so other people aren't going through the same thing you're going through. And that you get your comfy face. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely resources. I feel like there's a lot more resources that are readily available now than there used to be. So like I said earlier, like uh, we would have paid the whole amount for your your stuff if it would have helped us get through it because it's easy to use. And I mean, what do you think? Uh, I think uh, nowadays it's a whole lot different than we did it. Right? Yeah. They do have more resources, and and I think they do change. The, I think they have changed the way they handle leukemia patients nowadays. Um, but back when we were doing it, it, was a learning experience, and you became basically nurses. And uh, I think. If we would have had more resources, I don't know if I would have used them personally as far as therapy goes at the time, but I know she would have. I would have yeah. Um, I it took me all these many years just to go to therapy for my military, um, and some other things that happened in my life. But yeah, I'm kind of stubborn that way. Yeah, but I mean, there were several times that I thought about going to like the support groups and everything, but. I didn't want to go there in person like I was exhausted right so like doing zoom if that had been an option then I probably would have done it that's the other thing I wanted to say it's exhausting yeah we were exhausted for five years right and when she was going to uh UNL uh she was living in a dorm and I was staying with uh, her stepsister um, yeah, mm-hmm. and I mostly like slept or relaxed or whatever. It took a long time to get over it. Yeah. Um, not only mentally but health-wise, also, it's yeah, it was very difficult. Very, very physically and emotionally demanding. Emotionally, yeah. Mentally, physically, mm-hmm. exhausting. Pretty much like having a baby. <laughs> Pretty much like this one. Except, you know, a bit more traumatic. <laughs> yeah. It's like she never makes a peep until right now. Yeah. <laughs> she says, let's get the focus back on me, please. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really, again, very grateful um, that you were willing to come on and share your story. And I really feel confident that hearing about your experience and what you two went through is truly going to help so many other people because I hope so. I don't think we, I don't feel we've like put everything out there, but tried to. Uh, putting everything out there would probably be emotional messes right now. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah. And I, you know, people are operating at the speed of information. And I feel like what you have shared is the information that people needed to hear right now who are hearing it. Yes. So uh, I want people to know that there's help out there. Uh, like if your podcast can reach the parents of kids that are going through this, uh, I, I know that I have succeeded in something. Yes, for sure. For sure. 
Well, thank you so much. If um, if there's anything else that like pops into your mind that you're like, oh, we maybe we should have talked a little bit more about that. You can always email me and then yeah. I can just add it into the show notes. Of course, like, yeah. I know from Jacqueline. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful, yeah. yeah, awesome. All right, well, thank you both so very much. Thank, thank you. you for having us. Hello, welcome to Inspired Caring. I'm your host, Michelle Magner. If you are caring for an older family member, this is the podcast for you. Each week, I bring insight, tips, inspiration, and strategies to help you care for the people that you love without losing yourself along the way. Having cared for both of my grandmothers, I've helped manage everything from hospital stays, households full of belongings, to navigating senior living and end-of-life care. And I've worked in senior living as a result of that experience, serving my residents and their families as they've been on this journey too. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Inspired Caring. Well, hello, everyone. Today... I have the um, privilege of sitting down with Jacqueline and her dad, Lonnie, and daughter, Lillian, to talk about caregiving for um, Lonnie's wife, Yvette, Jacqueline's mom. So welcome to the podcast. I'm so grateful that you're here and just willing to have this conversation. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. So your mom passed away in 2012. Mm -hmm. How old were you? I was 18. So it was just when I was starting to look at colleges and everything. Um, and just after I graduated, right? Yep. 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 And how, what, what, what did she have like a diagnosis or what? Yep. So she had leukemia, um, for five years. Uh, so she went into remission about what a year before uh, she was diagnosed. She was diagnosed uh, my freshman year, freshman year, uh, her halfway between a junior and sophomore year um she relapsed yeah so my senior year she uh she relapsed into you know having leukemia again and having to go through treatments and then uh so it would have been about a year after when I was because I did community college mm -hmm. but uh so while I was in college at Metro um she got a stem cell transplant yeah. and weirdly enough it wasn't the cancer that killed her it was like problems with like plasma and a whole different like blood disease okay so you you were on this like up and down cancer journey and then it yeah. it was ultimately something else yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, we can definitely attribute it to the cancer because she wouldn't have had to go through the stem cell transplants. 
and everything like that but yeah because she had to go through all that it led to that in the end her body couldn't take the treatments anymore yeah yeah basically is what happened and i think we kind of um we hear about people going through cancer treatments and being survivors but i think when you really or um, the treatment's no longer working. And that's what happened with my father-in-law was ultimately the doctor said, the treatments aren't actually working for you anymore. And the treatment themselves is doing more harm than good at yeah. this point. Like he had two hospital stays um, where he, he was in organ failure. Jeez. Wow. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I think it just gives us a reminder that um, this is not an easy road and it's not simple to be. To no, in the beginning, we were we were babes in the woods, as I like to say. Yeah. We didn't know anything, but uh, we did learn one thing when uh, her first hospital stay the first week, uh, we didn't want her to be in the hospital. Yeah. So we uh learned how to do IVs and we basically became nurses and we yes. kept her home. Between her between her actual hospital treatments where she had to be at the hospital for her chemo, mm -hmm. uh, the rest of the time we kept her at home and we took care of her. So uh -oh. so for Jacqueline, this was we had discussed like there's this kid point of view and then of, there's of course the spouse partner. Yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah. I think a lot of what you're doing, it captures the like spousal part of it, mm -hmm. um, even like the older kid going through it. But I mean, I was how 14 when she was first she was diagnosed. 14 and we both became caregivers instead <laughs> yeah. of husband and daughter. Yeah. So like I was helping my mom throw up in the bathroom and mm -hmm. I was I shaved her head and like I grew up within a, a couple months right. I went from medicine being, shots yeah. cleaning IVs yeah and... she had diabetes at one point so we had to manage that she was afraid of giving herself the shots so like that was up to us so and then my brother he couldn't handle it so like he wasn't there to help um, I had an adopted sister at the time and that was too much for her, so she wasn't there to help. Basically, so. pretty much we were abandoned and left to our, just yeah. us two. Yeah. yeah, left yeah. to your own devices. Do you feel like that changed your relationship, the dynamics of the yes. two of you? Did it happen like in the moment or was it something that? I think it developed because we stopped being like my dad. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's my dad. I, I feel like he became more of my dad, but more of like a partner in the like psychological and physical journey that we we're going through. Right. The heavy lifting. And we had to depend on each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because most most people, including what you said, her brother, or my son, and um, an adopted daughter we had, they couldn't handle it. It was basically, they just walked away. Yeah. So that and, kind of hurts a little bit. I mean, yeah. So then you're also navigating and dealing with that loss. Like you're yeah. in the fight, trying to fight for the life. Yeah. Of one person and you're struggling with these other people. Yeah. Yeah. 
Can you, when you think back to that time, is there anything that you can remember that really helped you get through each day? Honestly, it kind of goes by in a blur, like each day blended into each other because I mean, we didn't really get into any kind of supports or even talking to like therapists or anything until she was long gone. Like it was years afterward before either of us saw anybody. Saw therapists. Yeah. Which I, we still do today. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, at the time it was more of like, I have to do this to keep her alive. Right. It, it, this isn't about me. This is about her. Like, if I want to see her later in my life, I have to do this. Like, I have to make her eat when she doesn't want to eat. I have to give her water. I have to stay up with her at night, give her shots. I uh, think my background probably uh, helped a lot for me is becoming a caregiver, mm -hmm. uh, military. Um, I had experience with being in the hospital. I had experience with being sick a couple of times also. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but my mantra in my life was to fight to stay alive. Mm -hmm. So I think that helped. Hold on. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Well, yeah, I mean, especially military, it's very, it appears, it seems very mission-based. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. this is our mission at hand. And like I said, when she first went to the hospital the first week, the second day, no, it was the first day we left and they called us to come back right away. And she had a reaction to a medication. Basically she had a heart attack. Yeah. They ended up because we had been with her almost 24 seven and they were like, no, no, go home. Like you need to rest. And that, that night we got a call and they're like, she's having a huge reaction to all the medication or something. We're transferring her to a different hospital. Oh so God. this huge like thing happened in like hours of us not being with her. Do you feel like yeah. that? Oh, go ahead, Lenny. So that's when I knew we had to take care of her ourselves because yeah. most people know, or I don't know if most people know, but I knew that to survive that kind of stuff, even at the VA hospital, it's better to be at home with family yeah. who can take care of you. But it's less traumatic and less uh, uh, less hardship on the body as far as medication and nurses. and Yeah. And she hated being in the hospital. She did hate being in the hospital. Yeah. Because yeah. she ended up staying, she had to stay at, so she moved from Creighton to UNMC. Mm -hmm. And she stayed at UNMC, I think it was two months. Two months. Yeah. Before we got her home, yeah. Yeah, before we could get her home because she was on so many different medications. And when they brought her into UNMC that night, uh, UNMC was like, we're taking her off all the medications and starting over. Wow. Basically. So it took her several weeks just to like transfer between the medications and for them to figure it out. And then they wanted to monitor her. So <laughs> can you talk a little bit about the juggle of that? Because obviously you were in high school, so you're still trying to go to classes and then. No, 
I yeah. withdrew her from high school. So she was I, homeschooled. Kind of. Um, so the first half of first half. my freshman year, um, I stayed in school. Um, but I probably still missed half of the first half because mm -hmm. I was at the hospital or I was there so long or early in the morning. So I was tired during the day. And then I'd go back, get assignments and try to do them. And I, I started failing almost all of my classes. Mm -hmm. So um, both my mom and my dad both were like, well, why don't we just take you out and we'll homeschool you that way, you know, you can do work on your own time. So I did that through sophomore and junior year as well. And that's the balance. That's what worked for the family that you were able yeah. to do that. And then your senior year, did you go back to the building? I think it was halfway through my junior year. I ended up doing half days. Um, so I was still half homeschooled. Um, so I did like my main classes at home, um, which was really easy because I was really like self-taught by that point. So <laughs> sorry. So right, um, Lillian. Hi, Lillian. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was really self-taught at that point. I was doing workbooks. I was doing stuff online, experiments by myself. And then I'd go to the school and do like electives um and other stuff so I could graduate from the school I mean that that takes a lot of grit and tenacity I mean that that is not that's that's pretty impressive that you were able to to juggle those, both of those things yeah so Lonnie did you have were you still able to go to work since Jackie was home being homeschooled no, I um, did not work for a while. Uh, for the five years that she was ill, I stayed home. Um, we had um, insurance and uh, things like that, so the cover expenses. So that wasn't actually an issue money-wise. Okay. So we were able to, luckily we were able to, uh, I was able to stay home and care for her and make sure she got schooling and all that. And, yeah. That's great. <clears throat> so it sounds like any given day, you didn't really know what to expect based on treatments she needed or her reactions to medicine or how she was going to feel. Uh, there were several times where, you know, she'd get a temperature or something, we'd have to take her to the hospital. <laughs> and... Right. <laughs> She's being more talkative than normal. <laughs> and I'm like, what? What is she? This is weird. <laughs> so do you feel like there were, did you guys use any other resources or was it really just the two of you? Did you have any home health coming in or? Yeah, so we had a nurse that would come in. Uh, she would deliver like saline bags and stuff. And uh, basically, so she would just teach us how to use it. We yeah. would do it. We did all her care at home. Yeah, right. But the nurse that came in, she like, so my mom had a, a port. Um, pick line. Yeah, a pick line. And, oh yeah, she had a pick line because the port didn't work. Didn't work. Um, so she had a port at one point, which is in your chest and they just like stab it. Um, and then it didn't really work out. So they had to do a pick line, which is like, 
I don't know if you know, but a uh, permanent into your blood, your heart, yeah, vein into your heart. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the nurse would come in and flush it out and make sure that it was looking okay and everything. But we changed the bandages on that. Um, when she had the port, we helped keep that clean. Um, it was really weird. <laughs> yeah. And you had you are not in the medical field at this point, right? No. <laughs> no. I mean, she had machines that would uh, run the IVs, and we had to hook up the IV to the pick line, start the machine, yeah. and you had to code the machine to do the medicine the right yes. way. The the like whole IV things that are in the hospitals, like the ones that you see there, we had one at home. Wow. So like I know how to. I don't know how to do it now, but, but we did. I used to know how to like turn off the alarm, how to change it out, like how to get all the air out of it, how to like switch things out. It was yeah, I was basically a nurse without the training. Yeah. Well, how did you get that equipment? Like, how did you get it set up for her to be at home? Was that a like uh, her insurance covered uh, home health care? Okay. And uh, the hospital. Uh, when I talked to her main doctor, I said we were gonna care for her at home. So it was just set up that way. There's a band that would come by and drop off IVs and um, exchange machines if the battery was dead and give us the supplies we needed. Wow. So basically we had a little hospital in our house. Yeah, it sounds like it. Were you able like, were you taking rotations of sleeping at night? I know sleep is one of the biggest issues that people um, that are caring for someone at home have. I don't even remember. Wait, what's the question? Uh, if we took shifts sleeping, sleeping. are we taking care of it? I mean, she would sleep through the night mostly. Mm. And she basically slept with her in a room where I did. One of us was there. Yeah. Um, I slept in the bed with my yeah uh, and then i don't even remember where you slept couch okay <laughs> mostly so mom slept in the bed and then you you, you two rotated through who was I, uh, yeah yeah <laughs> but she never really needed anything at night or if she did like i don't remember it you know and the other thing is we had five dogs <laughs> and they all slept on the bed with her also yeah. oh my that God. was the other reason we wanted her home her babies yeah the fur babies wow like... do you feel like um as you reflected on that time I mean that was a pretty intense five years yeah does it feel like it was kind of a, a blur or a dream or do you still uh, feel, I mean, that's really um, in the trenches. I mean, it's something that I don't think you can ever forget as mm -hmm. far as the trauma of it. And I think that's why both of us now need therapy mm -hmm. um, because we didn't deal with it. We, and even unfortunately, her first remission, after her first remission, we weren't really, it was hard for us to be husband and daughter for her because we had become her caregivers. Mm -hmm. And to transition back was very difficult. And I'm sure it was very difficult for her not to be able to have a husband and a daughter again. Yeah. It, <clears throat> so the worst part or the regrettable part is that part of it. Yeah. 
And for me now, it, it feels very blurry, I suppose. Like, I, rem I try not to remember, like, all the times that she was sick. And, like, I don't want to say, like, decrepit, but, like, you know, sickly looking. Mm -hmm. Like, in my head, I don't want to remember my mom being that way, you know? Right. So a lot of it has, like, kind of change from all those horrible images to like the time she was happy during that time or the things that we did together but I mean five years to me feels like it was a couple weeks yeah yeah and the way that you have to talk to your child during that time the child's it grows up immediately because you have to talk to them what it, she talked to me all the time about like what if I pass away this is what's going to happen um you know or like just telling me how she felt and there's times that she'd be so loopy that she'd tell me things that she regretted in her life or things that I didn't particularly want to know mm -hmm. but I don't think she even knew that she was saying those things. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think, how do you think you started to rebuild your memories of how you wanted to remember her versus how things were at that time? I've been in a lot more therapy than he has. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. I tend to, uh, I, I've actually had other trauma prior to this. So I kind of had learned to shut myself off from it. Mm -hmm. And I'm just now dealing with all of it. Uh, PTSD, uh, I don't know, whatever else I have. Apparently I have a lot. <laughs> um, but I don't think I actually ever dealt with it until now, yeah. really. And I had therapy uh, a couple of years after. and Because I, I went into huge depressive states. Mm -hmm. I think we both did mm -hmm. and like we lost the house after she passed away um I was living in the dorms at UNM uh, UNL mm -hmm. um I then started living with my boyfriend at the time and then we moved to Washington uh we were homeless later. yeah we were homeless for quite a while yeah so we lived in a car in Washington, yeah, six we, months. we lived six months in the car, and then got an apartment, or I got an apartment um, on the other side of the state, <laughs> mm -hmm. and I started going back to school then, and I was still in a huge depressive state, but I started seeing one of the school's uh, counselors, mm -hmm. and started having therapy sessions with them pretty regularly, and I think that's when I started to, like, kind of realized that you know there was more good in like having that time with her and being able to have that time with her than you know like all the depressive things <laughs> right well and there was that moment not a moment a really long time those five years in that state and then all of the um aftershocks yeah that occurred. The aftershock for me was when she first was diagnosed, the, the doctor said to us five years. 
I was like, should be cured. I thought she meant she'd be cured in five years. I did not mean, I didn't know that. I didn't take it like that. You didn't? Nope. Mm. So, well, that's my therapy. Part of my therapy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like we didn't get as much of aftershock of somebody suddenly dying. Um, like, because she, I remember being picked up from Metro when I was there and like my, my dad had my mom in the car and the, they had gotten like a really bad diagnosis of like um, everything because her brain was just like shutting down. It was almost like severe dementia. Mm. Yeah. And like she stopped talking. There were some times when she was lucid, but she very quickly degraded and uh, they pretty much says she was brain dead. Yeah. And I think then, a couple of days after that, didn't she? I know, because uh, that was in October. So October. It was she didn't go till January. Yeah. So we had New Year's Eve was probably the last day that she was lucid and then new year's day she was in the hospital and 12 days later she died she was we had to pull the plug so you had to make a decision about that yes i think that decision was the easiest one for us though when we pulled the plug she suffered enough no for me for you (laughs) i didn't want her to suffer anymore I've had plenty of therapy about this, but so my brother was there and my adoptive sister were there and they spent a day or two in the hospital, kind of just like saying goodbyes and everything, but I'm the youngest out of all of them, mind you, and they had taken me out into the hallway and said the decision was mine. And that is probably the most traumatic thing that, like, mentally I've ever gone through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, like, I, we've talked about this recently, but he had already talk and, talked to the doctor and made the decision. So it wasn't mine, thank God. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. yeah. But in Basically. that moment... I I yeah. thought it was mine. Yeah. I I was told it was mine. It like in my head as an 18-year-old, the life of my mother was in my hands. Right. Uh yeah. I think for me, um letting her go was the best thing I could do for her. That's oh, what I yeah. thought about it. Yeah, it was definitely the best thing. Like, she wasn't there. And she wanted a DNR, so, and they had resuscitated her. So it was even against her wishes to be resuscitated and on the tube, so. I mean, the day prior, they said, do you want her resuscitated? I said, no. She says no. Yeah. Because we asked her. Yeah. They had resuscitated her when we weren't there. Yeah. And The, the medical staff did. Because she she had like a stroke or something. I don't remember what. She had she had a severe stroke, and they showed us both the X-rays when we first got there that next morning. The morning that we unplugged her, it was black. Yeah. Her brain was gone. Yeah, it was like completely gone. 
but yeah we got that a little bit because they weren't supposed to like resuscitate her but we had all kinds of trauma during this thing though we had like okay she had to have her gallbladder re removed yeah. And the cardiac team came in and said, we don't, we, we are against this. You shouldn't do it. And uh, we're like, well, she has to have it done because she's in pain all the time. And uh, they were, well, God bless her soul because she's not going to make it through surgery. And we're like, what? And the cardiac surgeon is like, no, I got this. So we had to trust him and we call him God to this day because mm -hmm. uh, he did exactly what he said he was going to do. He fixed her. But yeah. So it just was not a straight path. <laughs> no, definitely not, not a straight path. We had path. we had a lot of ups and downs the whole the whole five years. There were all kinds of weird things that would happen. Yeah. I mean, there was a whole period where I mean she was in remission and we're like, hey, like we don't have to deal with this again. And I think that lasted six months a year, something like that. Lasted about a year and then uh, she went for a routine at her doctor's office and they gave us a call back about an hour later. There's something wrong, but they were all freaked yeah. out, freaked us out. Yeah. So we had to start all over again. Yeah. I do remember. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, I do remember that one thing I will never have done is a bone biopsy without any kind of anesthesia. Because barbaric, it is actually really barbaric. <laughs> like they just, they basically just like they give you a local anesthetic, like just numb it up, and then like pound this hollow thing into your hip with a hammer, <laughs> and then like grind it into your hip for the bone, and like they're screaming like it's you're being tortured oh my god and they do that thing to kids and i was like this is barbaric as soon as i said that every time she had it done after because she had to have it done a lot yeah um they would uh put anesthesia on her yeah she they wouldn't do it without her being yeah. under well she wasn't completely under but it was but i mean a local so it yeah, wouldn't hurt her it was like it was much better. Yeah, much like a better. twilight phase versus uh, yeah. just a local shot in that. Yeah, space. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it my. Sounds like you learned as you went, and you adjusted course for future. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We learned a lot of different things about. Yeah. Hospitals are not your your angels that people think they are. No, some some people in the hospitals are pretty heartless. Yeah. And we hear about them all the time as well, like in the news and stories that you hear, and which is so sad. But what were you going to say, Bonnie? I interrupted you, I think. What? Do you remember you were going to say something? Mm -hmm. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, one reason I wanted to be on your podcast too was because what you're offering to people is something that I feel like we could have benefited with at the time oh, yeah. like when after she passed i wanted to do talks and and to tell people like check your insurances because you don't if you have the right insurance you won't have to make yeah. a car payment or or your house payment or things like that it depends on what what insurance you got and what electives you receive but um and there's also help to the leukemia society and um i gave some talks to new people that I would meet while we're waiting for her to get her treatment. I talked to them and say, hey, do this, this, and this, because they'd have like 
deer in the headlight look on their face, especially the parents with kids. And yeah. I'm saying, don't let them dictate. You dictate. You tell them what you want. And and my advice is to make sure you take them home. Yeah. Don't leave them in the hospital. Yeah. But yeah. But we never like uh, the support groups and everything. There they, weren't any. There were. There were. Yeah. But I mean, it's hard to get to a support group when you're the main people taking care of the person. Right. Like, I, I oh, wish yeah. there had been like Zoom things that you could do and like just exercises that we could have done where there or just one on one phone calls we could have made with somebody. But that wasn't available at the time. And if it was, it wasn't like shoved in your faces, here you go. <laughs> I think uh, back then it wasn't prevalent, but I think it's more prevalent now. There's people to talk to now more. Well, yeah, that's what Michelle does. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, in 10 years ago, we had Skype or some other platforms, but you're right. It just wasn't as prevalent as it is now where um, there are support group. There's, um, you can have doctor appointments yeah. online, some of those type of consults too. Mm -hmm. What do you, what got you out of bed in the morning for each of you? I mean, you had such different vantage points um, as the, the husband and daughter, like what got you out of bed in the morning? How did you? Uh, well, when we were taking care of her, it was, she needs her medication and it becomes a job. Basically yeah. it's your job and uh, taking care of her. It's like taking care of a child, actually. A little bit, yeah. A little bit, it's like taking care of a child. Mm -hmm. And then, I don't know, I just, I'm not a quitter, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean. I try to teach her not to be a quitter. Yeah. I mean, he had her a lot in the mornings, um, so. A lot of the times I would end up sleeping until like 12. Um, my junior and senior year, um, I ended up sleeping until about 11 before I had to go to school. And I mean, at that time it was school, then the hospital, do work, like homework and stuff for homeschooling. And then I'd go home or it was school, work, hospital, go home. So, I mean, most of the time I woke up because I had to go to school. <laughs> right, yeah. Lonnie, have you gone back to work since then? Um, yeah, I worked in Seattle uh, uh, at a, as a manager at a Travel Centers of America. And then uh, she was going to school in Spokane. And I was that particular job was kind of ending a little bit the the industry was changing um and then i moved to spokane i worked there for bnsf railway for a while and i don't work anymore right now you retired i came here yeah mm -hmm. he's retired he's a nanny basically oh that's so great i help her since my granddaughter here yeah, yeah. so he, he lives with us so he's kind of a bit uh living nanny that's <laughs> perfect it takes a lot of stress off of myself and my husband. Yeah. Well, and to give that intergenerational experience for Lillian. Yeah. 
so great. <laughs> so what do you think people need to hear or know? Like from the child perspective and from the husband perspective, what what do you think if if someone's listening to this and they have a, a kid at home that's helping with this heavy lifting, um, what do you think that they need to know? I know my advice is uh, ask questions. The doctors don't always know the right thing. If you, the second opinions we had, um, but my biggest one is do not leave them in the hospital if you can at all costs bring them home. Only leave them at the hospital for procedures where they absolutely have to be there. Mm -hmm. I think being home, she went into remission faster than most. Um, we had, like I said, we had dogs. They slept with her. They're always in the bed with her. Um, we were there with her. Uh, when we take her out once in a while, she'd see friends, put a smile on her face because she'd get to talk to somebody she knew. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, that's my biggest. And then my second one is you have to take care of, which we didn't do yourselves also, because the, men, the mental hardness of it just grows on you and it wears on you after a while. Mm -hmm. And you become cold, I guess, maybe a little. Yeah. Yeah. And then other people say, why are you so cold? Or why you don't, uh, blah, blah, blah. You know, relationships with other people, women were for me. Yeah. It's like, you're so heartless. And I'm like, <laughs> what? You don't show any emotion. Things like that. Yeah. I think for being on the kid end of it, um, like it's hard because I don't want to like not blame him, but like there there weren't we didn't know of all the resources. Like he didn't know of all the resources that we could have used that probably could have stopped me from being so in, in, in it, uh, experiencing so much trauma at a young age. But my advice to parents is like, get as much help as possible, get the home health care, like get the nurse that comes every single day to help, like try to let your kids be kids. <laughs> Yeah. And like if they are there, like don't lie to them about anything. But you also don't have to, you know, traumatize them. <laughs> yeah, I probably went too far with that because with her, she knew everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I was there for almost every single doctor visit, every single procedure. She's in the hospital. I was there every go. single day in the hospital. And my side of it is I wanted her to spend as much time with her mother as possibly as possible. Mm -hmm. And I felt that that the way we handled it was the best way I could do that for her so she could be with her mother. And and that was why I didn't want to leave her in the hospital. And later on, I found out it's better that they're not at the hospital because they get more sick there. But yeah. Yeah. And then, like, I think being in the hospital every day um, was, I think that was good. But being with her at every procedure and everything, I, I don't think I had to have been there. No, I think it caused a bit of trauma. 
Uh, there were a lot of times when we'd bring her home from the hospital, but she'd have to go and get um, plasma transfers, and yeah. uh, we would sit there for hours Yeah, and while that was happening. Yeah, and while I get that time with my mom, like, that's ingrained in my head, mm -hmm. and it's, it's a, probably a bit more than I probably should have gone through, but, I mean, also just talking to your kids about what they want to do, because... Some kids will probably be like, yeah, I want to be there for everything. And some kids will be like, no, I don't want to see her go through that. I mean, I guess that's my fault. I wanted her, like I said, be with her mother as much as possible. But I mean, once I got into like, uh, when she went to relapse, uh, that's probably when we were the most caregivers because she deteriorated so quickly. quickly. And so, again, like I said, she basically, it was basically having a uh, severe dementia patient in your home. Right. So then I was like, no, I want to be there. This is what I'm doing. But like my freshman year, I was 14. I had no idea what was going on. I, it, I don't think a 14 year old probably should have gone through as much as I went through then. So how, so this really can tear families so far apart and you are still very much connected. You're living together. Um, he's helping with your child. It's so beautiful. How, how have the two of you maintained um, such a strong connection? Because obviously moving to Washington, being homeless for a period of time um, also added to the yeah, compounded trauma. Um, how have you two kept it together? Because I feel like over and over experiences that families are going through, people are just, it's shredding them. It's shredding them apart and they can't regroup. And they usually end up divorced or not connected to that person yeah. and all that. Um, which happened with my brother. Yeah. So uh, I don't, I've tried to reach out several times with them, but I think um it's just uh, hit him way too hard he feels things on a huge deep level mm -hmm. it has quite a bit of like mental problems himself so I mean it, it did tear us apart in a way but I mean we were in it the entire time <laughs> and communication I think helps um especially now like we we lived in a car together for six months mm -hmm. so going through that we uh like we had plenty of time to talk about things um we did a lot and um, we both we both yeah <laughs> that's what it is we both got uh therapy and stuff so i think that helps <laughs> i don't know i think uh i look at it as like we were warriors yeah we fought together and it just gives you a strong bond i think uh, yeah. we've always raised her to be independent and she is and we've always been up front with her about everything so i feel uh, yeah, I feel like we were warriors. We survived. I think that's a good analogy, too, because, I mean, warriors, 
especially like people that fought in the same war and the same like uh, battalion or whatever, they tend to stay friends forever or they tear apart. <laughs> like it's a, uh, it, it's one way or the other. There's no really middle ground there. Like either it's so painful to be together because it's such a reminder or um, it pulls you apart. Yeah. 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 She can see herself. <laughs> well, what do you have any final thoughts for people? I think this has been um really helpful and beautiful for you two to be willing to sit down and share this because again so many families are on this road together and struggling I feel like some of the thing that I heard all throughout our time together is using resources being advocates yeah making sure that you're taking care of yourselves you're it's hard to know what that could look like yeah um, Therapy definitely has been part of your recovery. Yes. And your continued think, closeness. Yes. Um, I think doing doing what's best for yourself and like helping others for sure, like mm -hmm. being advocates. Um, so other people aren't going through the same thing you're going through. And then you get your comfy face. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely resources. I feel like there's a lot more resources that are readily available now than there used to be. So like I said earlier, like uh, we would have paid the whole amount for your, your stuff if it would have helped us get through it because it's easy to use. And I mean, what do you think? Uh, I think uh, nowadays it's a whole lot different than we did it. And they do have more resources. And, and I think they do change. The, I think they have changed the way they handle leukemia patients they nowadays. Um, but back when we were doing it, it was a learning experience. And you became basically mm -hmm. nurses. And mm -hmm. uh, I think if we would have had more resources, I don't know if I would have used them personally as far as therapy goes at the time, but I know she would have. I, yeah. um, I it took me all these many years just to go to therapy for my military um, and some other things that happened in my life, but yeah, I'm kind of stubborn that way. Yeah, but I mean, there were several times that I thought about going to like the support groups and everything, but I didn't want to go there in person. Like I was exhausted. Right. So like doing Zoom, if that had been an option, then I probably would have done it. That's the other thing I wanted to say. It's exhausting. Yeah. We were exhausted for five years. Right. And when she was going to uh, UNL, uh, she was living in a dorm and I was staying with uh, her stepsister. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and I mostly like slept or relaxed or whatever. It took a long time to get over it. Yeah. Um, not only mentally but health wise also. It's yeah, it was very difficult. 
very, very physically and emotionally demanding. Emotionally, yeah. mentally, physically, mm -hmm. exhausting. It's pretty much like having a baby. <laughs> pretty much like this one. Except, you know, a bit more traumatic. Like, yeah. It's like, it's like she never makes a peep until right now. Yeah. <laughs> she says, let's get the focus back on me, please. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really, again, very grateful um, that you were willing to come on and share your story. And I really feel confident that hearing about your experience and what you two went through is truly going to help so many other people. Because I hope so. I don't think we, I don't feel we've like put everything out there, but tried to. Uh, putting everything out there would probably be emotional messes right now. Yeah. So, well, <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, people are operating at the speed of information. And I feel like what you have shared is the information that people needed to hear right now who are hearing it. Yes. So okay. I want people to know that there's help out there. Like if your podcast can reach the parents of kids that are going through this, I, I know that I have succeeded in something. Yes, for sure. For sure. Well, thank you so much. If um, if there's anything else that like pops into your mind that you're like, oh, we maybe we should have talked a little bit more about that. You can always email me and then yes. I can just add it into the show notes. Of like course, I know yeah. from Jacqueline. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful, yeah. yeah, awesome. All right, well, thank you both so very much. Thank, thank you. Thank you for having us.